Take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12. While you're turning there, I'll remind you that I've said before that one of the parts of my life of the past was I loved to go backpacking into the high country of New Mexico and Colorado. And uh, that was something that was kind of instilled in me uh, through the relationship with my older brother uh, right out of high school. He had started to do some of that and took me with him on one trip and I decided it was something that I liked uh, to do a lot. And so I started doing it a lot from the time I was about 17 or so on. And uh, when I moved down to deep south Texas a long time ago now, uh, I encountered a group of guys, men, who also like to go backpacking, and so we kind of struck up a friendship immediately based on that common ground. And uh, they began to teach me another element of it, which was to take a bunch of guys, teenage guys to be exact, into the high country with them. And so they would teach these young guys about backpacking and safety and all of those kinds of things. And uh, so we kind of gelled together as a group, and uh, I started looking towards the time that I would go with them on a trip. Uh, until they started talking about some of the stuff that they had done on previous trips, and then I started thinking, um, I don't know if I want to go with these guys or not. Uh, they had a way of playing uh, practical jokes on guys along the trail, and I knew that if I went being a rookie with them, I was going to be the butt of some of those jokes. And uh, one of them, for instance, there was a guy there. He was uh, this. He was probably a uh, probably a sophomore, a junior in high school at the time. I'm guessing his name was Jay. And uh, Jay was, even at that age, was a huge guy. Big, tall, burly, strong, you know. And uh, Jay, because of that, they put him first on the trail. Now, you've got to understand the trail when I say that. It's backcountry. It's not like some big walking trail at a state park or something like that. It's just a path and sometimes not even that. Uh, which means you can come around some corners and walk up on stuff. And so they wanted Jay in the front because he was big enough to... Well, actually, he was slow enough that they could turn and run down the trail and him not, you know. So they would put him in the front, but they started telling me on this particular trip that as Jay was walking up the trail with them kind of tagging along behind, somebody decided it would be a great thing to do every once in a while to reach down and pick up a rock off the trail and put it in the back of Jay's pack. Now, you got to understand, we'd hike for nine hours, so over a period of a nine-hour trail hike with them every once in a while stopping and putting at first it was just small stuff and he never said a word he didn't I mean you could they could tell that he was starting to get tired and had, even at the lunch break he said man this pack is heavy uh, and so it started with small rocks by the end of the day they were putting big stuff you know one guy to hold up the flap and another one drop it in there and by the time they got to the end of the trail that day Jay was just collapsing into the area where he was going to set up his tent and he sloughed off his pack and he sat down on a log and he started opening his pack and pulling stuff out and there were all of these rocks. And he said, no wonder I was dying. Now I tell you that as a modern parable. It's a true story. But I think, matter of fact, I'm convinced that as Christian people, we fit into both categories of what I just described. When it comes to offenses, we are often the ones who put rocks in the packs of the people around us. Now I'm going to call those rocks guilt today. We're often the ones who want to load someone else's pack with guilt. 
But we're also often the one who has to carry the guilt that other people put on us. My suspicion is that in this room today, every one of us carries some point of guilt. And if we're not the ones carrying it, then we're probably the ones who are pushing it off on other people. I want you to let that hang there for a little bit today because what I really would like for you to do today is to just unload, to unpack and unload and move forward with forgiveness. Matthew chapter 6 verse 12. We know the passage. It's really an easy verse, at least at first glance, it's easy for us to look at. It's part of the model prayer, which is also part of that thing that uh, we call the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus gives us teaching as it relates to the kingdom of heaven and what being a disciple of Jesus needs to look like in our lives. And so the overall prayer we know, our Father who art in heaven, etc., etc. But we're now on this one section. It's in verse 12, and it says this, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. As I said, many people in this world, probably in this room, are carrying a load of guilt in their lives. But you know, one of the things that we need to hear is that harboring guilt and dispensing guilt may be the way of the world, but it's not the way of the kingdom. Now, that's good news for us, and it might be hard for us to hear given our backgrounds today. And what I want to try to do is to dissect enough of this today to help us be able to tie on to something that moves us forward. If you're here today and you're carrying a pack load of guilt, you need to unload. There's no reason in the world, according to Scripture, that you ought to be carrying that around with you. And by extension, according to what Jesus is teaching here, there's neither a reason for us to be able to go through life and continue to pass out guilt on other people. Oh, but I'm telling you, churches are really good at passing out guilt. Let's clarify some terminology as we go forward. First of all, I want you to notice again the way Jesus states this. I kind of want you to notice the way he does not state it. Particularly what I want you to... It would be very easy... Well, I said it to the first service today this way. I wouldn't have said it this way. Now, that's a dumb statement, okay? Because Jesus is the one who said it. He gets it right, okay? So for me to admit to you, I wouldn't have said it this way. He says, Jesus does the better way all the time. Now, he could have said, and I would have said, and forgive us our sins, Matter of fact, that's probably the way you pray on a consistent basis. If you think at all to ask for forgiveness, then you ask for forgiveness for your sins. But Jesus uses a term here. Now, in Aramaic, there's good evidence that it probably, Jesus spoke in Aramaic, probably good evidence that it was kind of interchangeable. But there was also a word specifically for sin. So Jesus uses a word here that we need to note and pay really close attention to. Forgive us, now what's the word? Forgive us our Debts. Now, how do you normally think of a debt? Money, right? It's something that you owe to somebody else. And actually, that's the way we would translate this word out of the original language. Something which is owed. Isn't that a strange way for him to talk about this, though? Forgive us that which we owe. We'll come back to the word forgiveness in just a second, but let's kind of zero in here a little bit. In case you're not up to date, in case you don't, you know, you're one of those rare people in American society who has no debt, 
We are a nation of debt, not just on the government level, but on the personal level. A debt, the reason you get a statement in the mail, whether it's email or snail mail, the reason you get a statement from your bank or credit card or car loan company is because they know that you owe them money. That's a debt. Now, wise people pay that. Really wise people pay it on time, which means early. Is that enough for me? Can I just say amen and let's go on home now? That's enough of a lesson for America today. That's not the lesson for us to get today. A debt, something we owe. Isn't it strange that Jesus uses that term in talking about forgiveness and particularly in what we would think would be forgiveness of sin? Maybe maybe we need to kind of explore this a little bit. The idea that Jesus is pushing here is rooted in carrying a negative balance. Case in point. I had a professor when I was in college. One of the, it took me a while to get through all of my education. I'm slow as far as that goes. And so one of my professors at one point was trying to teach us in a leadership context about dealing with people. And I've heard several of y'all talk about this in the time that I've been here. So I know the concept is not foreign to us. But just in case it's not, there's this concept. Now, I'm talking about relationships, but it comes out of that money world and a banking world particularly. If you are one of those who still writes checks, and you can think for that even using a debit card, that kind of thing. If you are prone to spending a lot of money then one of the things you need to really be careful about is before you write a check or throw that debit card down on a counter somewhere, you need to make sure that there's money in the bank to cover that. Right? Come on, you financially responsible people. Help us out here. All right? Don't write a check. You know, back in the old days, for me, old days, they used to call that floating a check. My dad always called that dumb. Okay? Don't write a check or use a debit card if you know that you don't have money in the bank to back it up. Okay? Good basic financial advice there. The problem is that when it comes to relationships, what we understand in the banking world, and that is that you have to make deposits before you take out withdrawals. In our relationship world, if we don't make deposits with people in our relationships, then when we start doing withdrawals with them in that relationship, you can have a negative balance, and then all of a sudden you have problems, just like you would in your financial world. I I used this earlier. Let me see if this helps you some. Some of us, now we're pretty much a young church. When I got here, it got older in a hurry. But... For the most part, we're a young church here. If you don't already have teenagers, many of you will have them eventually. (laughs) I love that. Now, let me tell you a little bit, okay? I'm going to speak sociologically, psychologically, and theologically all at one time here, all right? Which means I'm going to be very confused for a few moments. No, actually, not at all. One of the things that seems to happen... I used to be a youth minister for many years. God saved me out of that, just like he saved me out of my sin. Okay? But in the time that I was a youth minister, one of the things that I noticed was with parents, 
Parents who had children and they had great relationships with their children as they're growing, it's this one big happy, the Waltons kind of family on TV. Now, some of you don't even know who that is, okay? Uh, Whatever. Now, those kids, well, I said it this way when I was a youth minister. Something happened to my children when they got to be about sixth grade. In the middle of the night, somebody came in with a vacuum and sucked the brain right out of their heads. I don't know what happened, but boy, it was obvious that it happened. And in our case, at least, I've seen this in many other places, about the time they got to be 21 or 22, uh, they showed up again in the middle of the night and re-deposited the brain into their heads. But for that 400-year period in between, (laughs) something happened. You ever seen that? Where kids, when they get to be a certain age, it's almost like parent, parents don't matter anymore. It's like parents somehow got really dumb overnight. And so what happens is you have these conflicts. Part of what's happening there, parents, if you don't have teenagers yet, it's a good time to take notes. Um, part of what happens there, sociologists tell us and psychologists tell us, that in that time where teenagers need to break free and establish their own identity in that preparation for becoming independent adults. In that time frame, there is a sliding scale of influence. And when they go into that time frame, parents have maximum influence and peers have minimum. But the further they go through their teenage years, that flips. So by the time they get further deep into their time of being a teenager, they're peers have greater influence on them than the parents do, okay? Now, that's sociological fact. Now, with that in mind, I want you to go back to this idea of a relationship and debts, negative balances in the relationship. So in that scenario, as a parent with a teenager and this increasing confrontation that seems to be inevitable. Part of what happens is the kids say, I don't want to be around mom and dad anymore. The parents say, I don't want to be around that kid anymore. And so you stop being around each other. But as parents, we know that our job's not finished. And so when I walk into the room of my son and he's 15 years old and a total vacuum between his ears, and I say, man, did... What happened to your room? It looks like the closet threw up. My son hears that as, my dad's a jerk. And he's right. Okay, that's a withdrawal in the relationship. You with me? Okay, so what happens is, as those kind of confrontations progress... We make fewer deposits into the relationship, more withdrawals into the relationship, and somewhere the balance tips, and now we're in, with, uh, in a negative balance there. Okay? Now I want you to go back to this passage. Forgive us our debts. Now, the first part of that, Jesus is reminding us in prayer. Remember, this is not a prayer for us to pray as much as it is a teaching on principles of prayer that need to be built into our prayer life. 
So what Jesus is saying here, in that relationship part of us that is most foundational, that is our relationship with our Creator, that is Himself, that we have to come into it and say, Father, I recognize that I am in negative balance with you. I've violated the standard of the relationship. I'll come back to that in just a second. I know that my life doesn't fit. I've made more withdrawals than deposits with you. Forgive us our debts. But he goes on to say, and forgive us also as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now that's not me and God as much as it's me and you. So this is not, by the way, just a sermon about parents and teenagers. This is a sermon about relationships and our negative balances in them. And Jesus teaching to us to set them straight. You with me? All right, so let me come back to this standard. What is the standard of our relationship with one another? In other words, what do I do and how do I get to the point that you and I, I haven't made enough deposits with you or you haven't made enough with me and the withdrawals in that relationship, the negative stuff. Now I'm going to use a term that I hear a lot in Southeast Texas, offended. What is the standard at which we both recognize, okay, you've offended me, I've offended you, we're in negative balance now in this relationship. And the answer to the question Preachers are great at asking questions that only they know the answer to. The answer to the question of what is the standard is, whatever we decide our standard is. For instance, I'm going to pick on my wife for just a second. Okay? That's a withdrawal. So let me pick on your wife for a second. (laughs) Early on, I may have told you all this example before, I don't know. Early on in our ministry... Or marriage, whichever way you want to put it. Right after we got married, now see, I was the one in those days who woke up raring to go. Three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, let's hit it, let's do it. Teresa, on the other hand, not so much. And so, because of who she is, and her love for me, as much as none of us understand that, her love for me, she would get up in the morning and cook breakfast before I went to work. Now, she was going to school at the time and working at the time. She could have slept in. She got up and cooked breakfast for me. Well, I thought, hey, let's go. So sitting at our little, in our little apartment at our little table, we'd sit down with breakfast there, and I'd start talking to her. I was not nearly smart enough to figure out I was the only one talking. And finally, one day, she looked at me, and she just said, I'm not ready to talk yet. And I thought, oh. And that moment, we settled the standard for early mornings at our house. Okay? That makes sense, right? And even to this day, 30 years later, we still have a standard as it relates to early mornings at our house. She gets up and goes to work and I sleep. Most days. All right? Now, that doesn't have to be your standard. That's just how we settled it between us. Okay? So here's the question of the hour so far. What is the standard in the relationship between us and God? 
if Jesus is saying, as he is, forgive us our debts, our negative balances, where we have violated the relationship, part of our prayer life is, forgive me for that. We better understand what the standard is there. This is one that you and I don't get any say-so in. Jesus has given it to us in this Sermon on the Mount. The thesis of the entire sermon for him is over in chapter 5 or 13 thereabouts, 17 thereabouts. And unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. The standard of the relationship between us and a holy God is a surpassing righteousness. It's not the churchy do this and don't do that stuff that we so quickly reduce it to. It is transformational grace. I'm going to come back to that. That's the standard. And Jesus knows that we can't live to that outside of his strength and his empowerment in us. And so he says, as a regular matter of prayer, come before a holy God and say, I recognize not just my sin, but I recognize that I'm operating in this relationship with you at a less than desirable, less than acceptable level. Forgive me my debts. That starts with him. But it translates to our debts with other people. One last example of what I'm talking about here on this negative balance thing. Make sure you get it. Let's say you go to work tomorrow and you sit in the break room, if you have one, and fellow employees are sitting around there talking and the conversation gravitates to let's beat up on the boss today and so people are talking about what's wrong with this amoeba-like person called a boss and how awful he is and how evil he is and so you slip into that conversation and you start talking about how you think this boss is such a horrible person but what you don't know is your boss is standing right behind you while you're saying that Now, is that a deposit or a withdrawal in the relationship? I hope you survive that, by the way. Take that picture and move it into your life. First of all, on the vertical relationship. How are you doing? Because I'll promise you, and I don't say this in, you know, like God's some big kind of slap you on the head from behind kind of ogre or anything like that. But nothing that you say or think is beyond God's awareness. Forgive me of my debt. And by by extension, those relationships with people around you are impacted as well. What happens with that is when we operate, we make more withdrawals than we make deposits, and we violate the standard of the relationship, what happens then is that I begin and you begin to retract from the relationship. When you are offended by somebody, what do you do with that? 
most people, even Christian people that I know, when they're offended by something, they retract backwards. Instead of doing what Jesus taught in another place, which is you go to your brother and you talk to them and you make it right, you would not believe how many times I've said to a Christian person, listen, if you've got a problem with your brother, don't tell me, go tell them. Oh, I could never do that, preacher. Well, you don't have any trouble telling me about it. Why don't you tell them? I just couldn't, I, I just couldn't do it. Well, fine. Now you're not only in negative balance with them, now you're in negative balance with your Heavenly Father who has given you the directive on how to fix it. Man, Jesus is rough. So what happens is when we get offended, and there's an, which is another way of saying there's an offense that occurred between me and you, when that happens, we pull back, we retract from that, And the other person retracts from that. And what ultimately happens is that this divide becomes something that we can't get over or won't get over. Now what I want you to see from this is the way Jesus fashions this and the rest of the biblical teaching that we find on this point is where this uh, offense divides and separates and isolates. Forgiveness erases. Let that sink in. The things that divide you and your spouse or another family member or your next door neighbor, the things that get in the way of the relationship, forgiveness erases. Well, maybe we better understand what forgiveness means at this point. Uh, here's this is a good way maybe for the word forgive here means literally to release. <laughs> I had an opportunity. Uh, several of men in this church have taken me fishing with them. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm used to fishing, but I've met men in this church who are used to catching. <laughs> you do know the difference, right? Okay, so I had the opportunity. man in this church found out that I liked to, to fish, and um, he didn't know how terrible I was, but um, he said, would you like to go fishing? I said, I would. And so he took me fishing with him. And uh, he was really good at the art of catching, which was a great thing for me because I'd never even been with somebody who really knew how to catch much, at least not on freshwater kind of lakes. And so we're out fishing, and he's pulling them in. Well, the first one that he pulled in, pulled in, and I thought, man, that's a good-looking fish. I wonder what it's like to catch a fish like that. And then I saw him take that fish, look at it, and throw it back. I started to jump off the boat into the water to catch it. (laughs) Hey, if you don't catch as much as I don't catch, you go swimming for some too. Well, I found through the course of the day that every one that he caught, he threw back. And influenced me accordingly so that the one or two (laughs) that I caught, whether it was on his pole or not, it's none of your business, but the one or two that I caught, I threw back. My mind, my little simple catch, no, excuse me, fish but never catch mind was thinking as I was throwing this fish back, you're crazy. I kept thinking, man, I wonder what that looks like in a frying pan. I bet that looks good, that fish does. He taught me about 
catch and release. Not only did he teach me about it, he influenced me to do the same thing. You know the word that's used here is exactly that same word, release. Now let's apply that back. Go back to the opening illustration. The guy walking up the trail and guys are dumping rocks into his pack. And I said, I want you to think about those rocks as guilt, offenses that occur. And some people, some of you in this room are carrying a pack full of offenses that are guilt that weighs you down. Practice, catch, and release. You know First John 1, 9 says? Okay, one person's awake. Everybody else with me? First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to wave them over our head and slap us in the head with them every once in a while. Is that what it says? Okay, everybody pay attention. That is not what it says. But that's how many Christians approach it. I'm going to confess my sin to a holy God who invites me to experience catch and release with him. To just, he forgives it. It's released. It's gone. But so many Christian people take that and they throw it in their backpack. And they carry guilt around. When God has said, it's gone, we say, no, I'll just hold on to it for a while. And it kills us. Like my friend Jay, we get to the end of the day and we collapse into our campsite, whether it's our house or our business, or a hole in the wall. We collapse under the weight. Some of you are here today, and that's exactly how your life is playing out. And Jesus says, if you'll ask, I'll release it. Some of us are the other people on the trail. And we find out about somebody else's offense... And we beat them over the head with it. And we throw rocks into their packs. Church people are too good at this, I'm afraid. Case in point, when I was a youth minister, living in another state even, went to this little community, and I heard almost immediately upon getting there about this guy. His name was Robert. He was Mr. Everything at the high school. He was a quarterback of the football team, and he was excellent at that. He was popular. He had all of the tribe. You know who he did, Mr. High School. You know, that's who he was. And he started coming to church. He made a profession of faith and found Christ and changed his life. I mean, you know, he was vibrant for the Lord and all that stuff until Robert started hanging out with some of the wrong people, probably preacher's kids. And Robert decided to abandon that. He started experimenting with drugs and then he started abusing drugs and then he became an alcoholic. All of this while he was in high school. In the midst of all of that, people told me, and I didn't, they didn't have to tell me, I could see it. Robert was untouchable. Robert all of a sudden was not Mr. Wonderful. He was Mr. Nobody. He was, oh, he's that guy. And they'd tell me about him. We'd see him out and some of the kids would go, oh, that's Robert. I said, well, let's go talk. Oh, no, no, no. I don't want to talk. And the parents, we didn't want Robert coming to church. He might, he might, He might infect our kids with that sin stuff. Robert's mistakes and bad choices in his life 
Moved him, as I've been talking about all morning, moved him gradually but certainly into a little isolated hole in the world. He flipped his car one day, threw him partially out of the sunroof of his car as his car rolled. He's fortunate to be alive at all afterwards, but developed some head injuries through that that impacted the way he had to live his life. And still the church would have nothing to do with him. I saw him one day, went over to him, just struck up a relationship. Because I used to be Robert. So I went over and I said, hey, won't you come to church? Man, I'm not coming to church. Those people, and I mean the hatred from the mouth of hell, the hatred on his face towards church people was so evident. And I said, I get that. I, I, I kind of don't even blame you for that. But let me tell you something. It's different. Everybody's not like that. We had Bible studies at our house, and I said, come over to the house. Man, you don't have to go up there. Come here. Start here. We developed a circle of kids who were not the goody church kids. There is no such thing, by the way, but in that church, they weren't the goody insider church kids. These were the kids who had real life experience and they reached out to Robert and they pulled him in. And we watched as God released him from the garbage of his life. And he was changed. And there was still that church crowd who would say, oh no, but he just might slip right back into what he used to be. And I wanted to slap them. I don't know how, I'm just being honest with you. How many people have been sent off by church people because we love to wave guilt and beat people in the head with it? One person said, it's a cliche now, but boy, it's true. Church is the only army that shoots its own wounded. Isn't that ironic? Now, let me think of a better. Isn't that demonic? That people who claim to have embraced the cross and been forgiven of their own sins wouldn't extend that to somebody else. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You may be here today and somebody, maybe somebody in here has offended you and you're carrying it around and actually also you're dropping rocks into their pack. It's time for us to lighten the load and to let it go. But see, today I'm really mostly concerned with those of us who are carrying that stuff around ourselves. I understand if you're a little bit gun-shy about religious crowds. I get that. But even still, there's not a reason in the world for you to carry guilt around. When Jesus himself said, I love you. <laughs> I love you so much, I'm willing to die a horrible death that I don't deserve so that you could be released from your guilt. If that's you today, you got to lighten your load. You got to come 
to the foot of the cross. Actually, I don't want to leave it there. We give the cross ample attention, and we should. But it's that empty tomb that really completes the story. Jesus Christ loved you enough to die for you, but he's powerful enough that he rose from the dead and defeated your and my greatest enemy in the process. There is no reason to live a life of defeat. There's no reason to carry a pack full of guilt around with you because everything that is needed to release you from that has been done except your willingness to accept it. So that's the choice in front of you today, right now. Will you accept that or not? Now, there's so much else we could say about this. So many other implications of this whole thing that Jesus is pointing to. But let me just leave it at this. One of the things that I think this does for us, if we hold on to guilt, it makes us bitter, bitter people. But if we let it go, it gives us the ability to relate to people. Because we know we've been forgiven, it's a lot easier for us to forgive somebody else. That's the amazing thing about God's grace. You do realize that there's a difference between grace and mercy, right? Mercy is me not receiving what I deserve. That makes sense? I do something wrong and I deserve punishment for that. Mercy says you don't have to pay. Grace, on the other hand, is us getting what we don't deserve. And what we don't deserve is forgiveness. There is nothing about who Jesus Christ is that obligates him to forgive me for my sin. But he gives me forgiveness anyway. I don't deserve it. He doesn't have to give it. He just gives it. Early on in the process of our lives, spiritually I'm speaking... We come to confront the cross and the message of forgiveness and the grace that is ours because of what Jesus did for us there. And those of us who get that and understand the call make the response. Say, okay, I, I receive the gift of grace. And it's amazing. We even have a song about that. But so many Christian people take that grace and they lo- it loses its luster. They push it to the side. It's like, okay, well, I experienced that and now it's just another one of the trappings of the Christian life. In a few minutes, Brian's going to sing a song for us. I'm still amazed by grace. Are you? If you have a good, solid awareness of your sin, you are. Because grace comes every day as Jesus gives it. Let's pray together. Let me ask you as we go to this time of prayer, where are you with God this morning? Are you one who walked in here with a backpack full of rocks, guilt that weighs you down and you just collapse into the clothes of every day and hate to think about a new day where you have to get up and carry it around some more? Let it go. Lighten the load Reach out and receive the gift of grace that Jesus Christ gives to you. If that's you today, I'm going to invite you in just a moment. We're all going to stand in a moment, and I'm just going to invite you to just slip out and come forward. Let's talk about and pray with you about how to appropriate the grace that is given.
You came in here beat up and beat down. Don't walk out that way because you don't have to. I also want to say during this time of invitation, if you know that you've been a dispenser of guilt, you've been one who freely passes out rocks and put them in other people's pack to carry around, you need to repent of that. That is sin. You need to take the message of grace and go get it right with those people that you've been holding stuff against. The word offended should be a rare word in the vocabulary of a Christian person because we all need grace and it's available to all. So whatever it is for you, whatever decision you know you need to make, now's the time to do it. Let's stand. We'll sing together. This is a time of invitation. You come.